Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm excited to interview Bill Nussi and Dr. Ben Damayani from Solar Inventions. Solar Inventions was created with the mission to accelerate the pace of innovation in solar and other clean energy solutions. Their first wave of products are based on the work of Dr. Ben Damiani. His breakthroughs in the fundamental science of photovoltaics expand the flexibility and effectiveness of traditional solar technology. Unlike most solar innovation, their products complement existing technologies and don't require new equipment or manufacturing techniques. Their benefits include increased power, improved shading tolerance, and reduced hotspot risks. Their technology received a substantial boost in late 2019 when they were announced as the first ever winners of Department of Energy's American Made Solar Prize. Prior to Solar Inventions, Bill spent most of his career as a tech CEO. He co-founded his first company in high school, which provided graphic software for early text-based computers. His second company was started out of a college dorm room and ultimately sold business software across 45 countries. After serving years as a venture capitalist with Greylock, he left the firm to run a portfolio company, which he took public and grew to almost $500 million in revenue. And Dr. Ben Damiani has spent his career in solar. His innovations have enjoyed global reach through work at early solar pioneers Suniva and SolarWorld. He's worked across the world commercializing new solar technologies and building solar manufacturing facilities. And there's a lot of interesting points that Bill and Ben make. They talk more about their technology with solar innovations, how solar is the largest form of disruption in the energy industry and trends that they're seeing in solar. And I would like to thank our listeners who we call Solar Mavericks for listening to this episode of the Solar Maverick podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I would like to thank Solar Energy Systems, SCS, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. They are a solar energy photovoltaic design bill firm headquartered in Brooklyn, New York, and serving the Northeast USA. And you'll hear more about them during the podcast. Thank you again to SCS for sponsoring. Another mistake people make about clean energy is it's not about, I have to spend the money, it's about an investment. So every solar panel field ever built, every residential battery installed, it's an investment that has a return. This isn't money going into a black hole. It pays for itself. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangent, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm really excited to have Bill and Ben from Solar Inventions to talk about their creative and innovative technology about improving the use of existing solar panels and current technologies. Welcome, Bill and Ben, to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. In the beginning, I talked a little bit about Solar Inventions, but can you go into more detail about your company? Sure, I'll take that. So Ben and I uh, started Solar Inventions a couple of years ago, and we, our third partner, Greg Freistadt, uh, put together a company around the vision that there's a lot of ready-to-be-commercialized innovations in solar, but just lack the financing and the commercial know-how to bring them to market. And we were inspired that that was possible because Ben, who you'll hear a lot from today, has some pretty incredible inventions that are priming the pump for our company. But in the long run, our vision is to curate not just stuff that Ben invents, but from a whole range of 
of people who have great ideas in the solar clean energy battery space and then help them bring them to market, mostly through an intellectual property licensing approach. But really, we're ready to do whatever it takes to make the clean energy transition happen more quickly. Definitely. And it would be great, Ben, if you could talk about some of the innovations that Bill's basically talking about with your technology that would be really helpful for our audience to understand that. Absolutely. Really got influenced heavily by Bill when he first met by coming out to one of the factories that I had put together. And we talked about different business opportunities and different things. And as our conversations progressed, we had a lot of in-depth discussion about where the industry would go. And I had shared with him some ideas about what I wanted to do. And I had this great idea to simplify a bifacial solar cell And he thought that was good and exciting, and we talked about it. And then I had this other idea that I wanted to look into a little bit more that was, on the surface, a lot less exciting for me from a technical standpoint, but at the same time had a much broader reach on the whole industry. And Bill just got really excited about that and ended up showing me the difference between being a technical guy and a business person, where the issue was really for at the center of our innovation, we had solar panels are, it's almost like the Model T era in a lot of ways, right? Where you can have any solar panel you want, as long as it's black and 72 cells. And so in addition to that, it's a lot like a Christmas tree light of old, where if one goes out, you're at risk of all of them going out. Definitely. And so I had some innovation around that, that I wanted to get into. And so we came up with a technology that helps make solar panels more robust in functionality. So if one goes out, they can continue operating and have uh, better functionality there, all while saving costs. Sure. That's amazing. And it sounds like it improves the irradiance as well, what you mentioned. We do. We try to absorb a little bit more light by incorporating an advanced cell structure. Not to get too technical, but we try to make what is a series-connected solar panel into a parallel architecture. And so when you have parallel, you have many more options for the current to flow. And one of the artifacts of that is we're allowed to absorb more light because we use less silver, which is also a very good prospect for our panels. Yeah, most people don't follow the price of silver, but it has (laughs) skyrocketed. And I'll tell you, the people that pay a lot of attention to the price of silver are the solar industry cell makers and uh, the folks that are typically our clients for this particular innovation. You know, Benoit, I'll also just give you my totally non-technical perspective. You know, if you think about like a swim meet, if a solar cell is like a bunch of kids at a swim meet, and they get in the pool and they want to swim from one side to the other. And a lot of these kids are just new at swimming and they go all left and right, they bump into each other and it's a mess. And that's kind of like electrons in a traditional solar cell. And what we do is we put those swim lanes in those, in the case of a swimming pool, those plastic, ours are plastic, but metaphorically, sort of those lines. And it keeps the kids swimming straight so they don't waste as much time going left or right and bumping into each other. And that's the really lay person's or shall we say dumb person's perspective on how Ben's invention works. Yeah, that's a really great way of explaining basically the configurable current cell, right? The C3 technology that you're talking about. That's really interesting. And two, to talk about silver, like commodity costs are obviously increasing. It's a finite resource in any way that you could cut the cost of the solar panel manufacturing. That's huge. And kudos to you guys. What I thought was really interesting is, Ben, you're the technical co-founder Bill's the business co-founder. What were your backgrounds before? I think it would be very helpful for the audience to know. Sure. And how so you guys I, actually uh, met. I know you talked a little bit about that, Ben, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I did my PhD at Georgia Tech in electrical engineering and focused on solar energy. 
as the my development topic, and in particular about light induced degradation, as well as really rapidly produced solar cells. So normally it takes eight hours to produce a solar cell typically, and I had a part of my thesis was to do it in less than 15 minutes. And we thought that was something, right? <laughs> but single processing can be a problem. So after I graduated, I interviewed with some space solar companies as well as some high volume manufacturing back in the day. That was you know, more on the order of like one to 10 megawatts, whereas now factories are in the gigawatt scale. But ended up going with Intel Corporation in their technology development group just to try and learn how the best technology company in the world transfers technology and does new innovation. So after I worked with Intel for a little while, I had some ideas to try and commercialize into solar, jumped over, joined a startup group that was a spin out from Georgia Tech that was based on some of my PhD work and ended up championing a new technology that we took from concept to full production within about two years, where normally that takes about six. Since that time, I've been involved in various levels of solar companies and partnered with Bill to do our own, and it's been the most exciting and most fun. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah, Ben's, when I introduce Ben to folks, I often describe him as one of the most humble people in the world when it comes to solar or anything really. And there's a lot of solar factories around the world that with our technologies wouldn't exist had Ben not been a party to or the primary inventor of some of the basic stuff that keeps the solar cell industry running. So he's really unique blend of science and innovation and business thinking. He kids that he's not a business guy, but I've dealt with a lot of scientists in my day and he's about the most business-minded scientist I've ever met. So my background is not in solar. I am not a PhD. And I can pretend to be a scientist occasionally as long as Ben's there whispering in my ear. But I've been in software tech for most of my career. And I had my first company when I was like 15 years old, back when it was a novel idea to have a software company. And I have uh, traded up on that. I've been a software tech CEO for almost my entire career with a couple of years at Greylock, the VC firm. I sold my last software company to IBM and it became the IBM Marketing Cloud. And a little bit after that acquisition was finished, I had the tremendous privilege. IBM asked me to help run strategy for IBM as a company. And so I spent every week up in headquarters in New York and helped um, the management team there. The executives chart a course for the next 10 years at IBM, which is phenomenal. And that's how I landed in clean energy actually, because one of the projects we were working on was what are the major industries and shifts that are coming up in the next 10 years, look around the corner, so to speak, and where could IBM play that they aren't playing today? And clean energy or electricity was one of the ones we looked at. And I was amazed at how undigitized the grid was and that caught my attention and it looked like an opportunity for IBM. The more I looked at it, the more I realized that that wasn't a big story in energy. It's that the fact that solar is plummeting in price. And I foresaw, which is everybody did, and now it's already come and passed, that solar would become less expensive than traditional electricity like coal and nuclear. And it's since done that. And it's an incredibly disruptive force. And it's arguably the largest disruption that's ever happened at an industry that's trillions of dollars. And it's going to happen very, very, very quickly. I started writing a book, which we can talk briefly about. And I was looking for the smartest people in the world to answer the question, like, what is it that's driving the cost of solar down so fast? How far will it go down? And what are the constraints on it's getting lower and lower? And I, that's, I ask a lot of folks, who's the smartest person can explain this in business terms? And then that's when I met Ben. We became good friends for quite a while before we decided to start the company. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And it's a great compliment. 
uh, with both of your backgrounds and taking the best from the industry. And I've heard amazing things about both of you. And that's an amazing collaboration. And you also have another co-founder as well, right, Greg? Yeah, Greg wasn't able to join us today, but Greg is also a software business guy. He's had a number of companies he's built and run and exited. He also has the distinct, well, he doesn't like to admit it, I'm kidding, but he's also a lawyer and quite adept at patents. I don't think he's been a practicing lawyer for a long time, but he totally understands that world and has been critical for our strategy because obviously as an intellectual property company, that's uh, first and foremost, we need to get that right. So he's been invaluable in that. He's also an amazing sales guy and business development guy. And so uh, I think the three of us are very complimentary and we've had some initial really good success and not it's going to be fun to take this out the next couple of years, see how big a dent in the universe we can make. Definitely. I'm really excited about the future. And I wanted to talk to you about the American Made Solar Prize. Your company was the first winner of this, and that happened last year uh, in 2019. Can you talk about that prize? Because it's really unique from a government perspective, investing in technology and providing a grant and how you're spending the money. I think it was like 800000 in prize money, including vouchers as well. Yeah, I'll give it a start. And then Ben, you can maybe talk about what we're doing with it. But folks like me that are outside of the science industry, when you think of government grants, you think of this incredible bureaucracy. And in fact, as I got into the industry, it was more bureaucratic than I realized. Normally when the the US government funds science and clean energy projects, which by the way, the US government is the largest funder of energy and clean energy in the world, I believe. But it comes with a lot of complexity. The uh, submissions are lengthy. They measure the time to create a submission in months. If you are fortunate enough to win half a million dollars or a few million dollars, the accounting and the oversight, while very appropriate considering it's U.S. tax dollars, is still very cumbersome. And it's a good fit for university labs and large corporations that have that kind of administrative overhead. But the people at the Department of Energy and NREL, uh, the National Renewable Energy Lab out in Colorado, they realized that the startup world, the early stage world, just wasn't in a place to take advantage of this. A couple startups had, but they usually had an inside track with the university or something to pull it off. So they decided to do something radical and they took uh, $3 million dollars and they broke it into three phases and they gave the first million to 20 companies, the second million in a second phase to 10 companies and the final million. And they split it in two and gave it to two companies, including us. And they had well over a hundred submissions and Ben and I have looked at most of these. And this was some of the most innovative stuff you could imagine. And the light bulb went off in the government. And, and from their point of view, spending $3 million is not a lot of money. I mean, they're granting hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And this $3 million was sparking entrepreneurs and new ideas and commercialization. And their main goal is to really get the U.S. solar and clean energy industry moving more quickly, especially on the startup side. And it worked. And so we wouldn't probably be here. It'd be tough for us to be here without it. And we won all three rounds to win the final prize. I'll let Ben talk a little bit about what we've done with the money, but it's been a game changer for us and for the industry. It's been so successful. They're now in the fourth round of this and they're just going strong. And and Ben and I joke that it's a good thing we weren't in those most recent rounds. I'm not sure we would have won because the companies that are attracting, that are bringing in are just excellent. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, just to go off of what Bill had said, the program continues to benefit us even after we've won in this first round. We've partnered up with some of the additional applicants, the new applicants in the future rounds to do different project work, help them get connected and see their ideas come to fruition. And there's so many different layers to this program that the American-made network that's created by this American-made solar prize competition really helps enable everybody to realize their ideas. 
so some of the things that we're good at doing, we've been able to help future, you know, other ideas come to fruition. And then in addition, they have the voucher money that is provided to us. And that's money that is awarded to our company to use, but we can never actually receive the money. So we have to use it within the American made network. So it allows you as a startup to get some validation or get some expert analysis or expert work done without actually having to justify the full cost. So it really helps to give you much better credibility out in public. And it just has so many different levels of of value that we've come to realize through the whole program. So it's been one of the best things for helping our company to have validation and to go and grow quickly. And we've been using that money instead of chase just one or two potential customers, we're working with no less than 10 people right now. And so it really helps to accelerate the time frame with which we can get into the market. The other cool thing about the vouchers, I didn't really understand this. There's, I guess, 11 or 12 U.S. national laboratories run by the Department of Energy. And you've heard of their names, Lawrence Berkeley, Sandia National Labs. But what exactly do they do? Well, this is obviously, these are concentrations of some of the smartest people often in energy and the planet Earth. And the solar prize, so I'm just imagining me as a startup in solar sort of knocking on the door of one of these places and they'd be like, who are you and what's your credibility? The solar prize is a red carpet right into the top people at these labs. And so the quality of conversation, the access, Ben and I were in a meeting in Colorado last year and some of the top people at NREL came to the meeting and were giving us advice. I can't imagine a scenario outside of the American Made Solar Prize where we could have so easily set that meeting up and gotten to really important topics with top people that quickly. So it's just a brilliant idea and I'm glad the US government is doing it. And you obviously don't know me, but if I told myself five years ago, Bill, you're gonna be praising the flexibility and innovation of the US government when it comes to science, I would have said, there's something wrong with you, Nussie. But I've seen it live, man, and they're doing, in this particular area, there's lots to criticize every government for, but in this particular area, I'm very impressed and very proud. We've been able to pay it forward and help a lot of the new companies participating in the competition. And one last thought for you, I've been in software tech for most of my career, and it's a pretty competitive space. But in the really early days, and I'm old enough to have been part of the early days in the 80s and 90s, you know, everybody was kind of not focused on competition because it was such a wide open space. And so everybody was working together. It was an incredible community. And it was easy to find people who were doing similar things in the software space because you knew if the tide was rising, all the boats would go with it. And that is the way that the clean energy innovation space is today. So while there's some sense of competition and people ask, like, who are you competing with? We're competing with inertia and old habits. And that's what's so exciting. This is an amazing community. And if there's one message we get across to your listeners, and I think this, your listeners are exactly the people I want to get the message across to, this is a great time to be an entrepreneur in the clean energy industry. It's a great time. Maybe two years ago, it's getting better. Now it's, I think for the next couple of years, it's going to get better and better and more exciting and, and more monetary opportunities, more impact opportunities. Definitely. That's really helpful. You so you think it's early in the clean tech or clean energy industry as far as innovation, basically, like what yes. you saw in software. Okay. I just wanted yes. to confirm that. And I totally... It's very early. I've been through a couple industry shifts when we went from mainframes to personal computer, mini computers and mainframes. I was a very, I was a kid then. And then we watched the whole digitization of the marketing tech and the rise of the internet. And I was in pretty unique roles in those changes. So witnessing early stage markets evolve into trillion dollar industries is really something I've had the privilege to do. And I feel based on those experiences that we're just at the beginning today. 
of clean energy. Definitely. I was going to ask, how are you scaling up and commercializing your technology? Like, what's the process? I know you mentioned that you're working with various different companies. Can you speak to like the first installation? It would be great to kind of understand where you are with the technology today and how far you are from commercializing it and sort of like the structure of how you would basically be compensated for your technology as well. I know, Bill, you mentioned about a licensing We've spent the last year and a half really hammering out the technology through pilots and doing mid-sized runs of our technology on and real production facilities and confirming the results that a lot of people were skeptical could actually be done and they work. And so in the last month, we have taken all the results and all the charts and graphs and we got some help and turned it into a white paper that explains really for the first time at a high level how this works. Greg and I have a great background in marketing. So we started marketing it and the response has been amazing. I mean, it's been amazing. So basically we're now working with a number of companies, most of which you've heard of around the world to uh, start helping them put this on their production facilities and assuming their results match ours, bring it out to the world in a very large way. Some will probably brag that it's a technology of license and others will want to keep it behind the scenes. Uh, but our goal is to get the C3 technology we've described earlier as widely adopted as possible. And our goal is to make Make it super easy for our customers to just basically roll it out on their own and then uh, pay us as they save money. A very simple licensing deal. I was going to say from as a non-business guy by trade, what's been really interesting and for me to see and to learn is there's been basically, it almost feels like two approaches. We did a lot of background work to prove out the technology. And you can see some of that at our website and on the white paper, but the business part of it has been really fun for me to watch because there's this old saying where it's kind of difficult to push on a rope versus pulling on a rope really helps to drag things in a lot more effectively. And so the approach, and I would like to take credit, but I can't on this case, but Bill and Greg have been phenomenal about creating the distribution of the information as well as engagement with customers and manufacturers and bringing them all together to have the interest and the benefit at the customer level requesting it through our manufacturers to pull it in so that they can get this advantage. Oh, wow. And so that's really helped with our marketing and it's in parallel to have it all happening. So that's really been fun to watch and something I didn't see before. So we have one small installation running today at a friend of the company's, but our first commercial installation should go up in the next two or three weeks and we'll have a small ribbon cutting ceremony. It's just a small commercial scale project, but our goal is not to manufacture these panels. We've made the first set in order to get them in the field, but our goal is to get the names of companies you know to add this to their products and then let them do it at a scale that's 100,000 times what we could do if we ever tried to do it on our own. But we're still excited to see it. I believe it's also been deployed at Sandia National Labs and we'll start announcing the other places in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned if you're curious about where C3 panels will be going live first. Definitely. And have you also like trademarked the C3 as well as part of the whole licensing process? I guess you have the option of the solar company or module company not promoting the product efficiencies. I don't know if that's been of any thought or any consideration? We've thought about it. Uh, no, we haven't. It's really the beauty of this product isn't anything in its name. And I wouldn't expect anyone to have brand preference sure. for C3, to be honest with you. But if there was, then I'd regret not having trademarked it. But it's really a descriptor. And maybe today, some of your listeners can suggest a new, more jazzier name than C3, like a Supercell or something that uh, we would bother <laughs> to trademark. But C3 was just a functional name. 
Sure, that's helpful to know. And that's pretty amazing how quickly you've been able to basically run these pilots and demonstration and then have a small commercial facility. It's not, it doesn't feel quickly at all. (laughs) So, uh, but we're excited. It's made some great progress and much more exciting stuff to come. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I would like to thank Solar Energy Systems SES for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. The company is a solar energy photovoltaic design bill firm headquartered in Brooklyn, New York and serving the Northeast U.S. Founded in 1998, the company designs, builds, and maintains solar photovoltaic PV systems with the public and private domain. I interviewed David Buckner, who's the founder and CEO of SES, on episode 65 of the podcast. And it was one of the 10 most downloaded podcasts So definitely check it out. The title is 20-Year Solar Veteran and Entrepreneur Provides Perspective on the Solar Market. To learn more about solar energy, check out their website, which is www.solarthenitsesystems.com. Email SES at info at solaresystems.com or call at 718-389-1545. We'll also have in the notes of the podcast information on solar energy systems. Thank you again for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. We were obviously talking about the C3 technology, but then you also have a second product, uh, Ben. It's the CVC, the configurable voltage cell. Can you talk about that? I know it's different and could work collaboratively with the C3. Can you give more information about that technology that you've created? Absolutely. We started the company based on this configurable voltage cell in order to change the functionality of the panel. And one of the questions that we get quite frequently in the American Made Solar Prize with customers is why has this not been done yet? It seems pretty straightforward and easy. And it actually ties back into the configurable voltage cell in that when you configure a solar cell to have higher voltages, first of all, most people think it can't be done. And when we change that architecture to use the same general format that we had for that patent pending technology, we put it into a parallel architecture and then we got new effects. And so it was largely already connected similar in a similar way within the panel. But now that we approached it from a really creative outside of the box thinking perspective on it, we are able to take advantage of some new benefits that can be beneficial to future generations of solar panels as well. So the configurable voltage cell was itself a pretty big shift in that we were just taking what any normal solar cell made of crystalline silicon can only be about 0.7 volts in power and then match however large it was would produce an amount of current. We changed that so that you could make the voltage go up and up and up. And the reason that's important in a techie world is nobody can charge their cell phone with 0.7 volts. You got to have like five volts. So that means you got to have multiple cells, but we changed that so you could do it with one. So that's still coming, but there's some performance differences that you get when you use it in the configurable voltage configuration as opposed to the current configuration, configurable current. That makes sense. And then I was going to ask too, what's the timeline for basically commercializing that technology? Well, when we start working with each of the manufacturers, it takes anywhere, it depends on the how big the company is and, and how quickly they're willing to move. 
we can do a, a prototype run with the customer within two weeks of the first conversation to generally about six weeks before they see the value on their own production line. So it's a really quick turnaround and there's further optimizations that can be made, but the initial test is very quick and goes very smoothly. Yeah, that's really quick. That's pretty amazing. And can you talk about how COVID-19 has impacted your business as it slowed it down because you can't be technically in the lab or the manufacturing facilities of your partners? Can you discuss about how that's been an impact? Absolutely. We could probably do a whole show on that. And it was really interesting the way that we were working with, I think, two or three different partners back in February before the COVID really hit here in the U.S. and then took over across the world, really, in March, it feels like, at least to us here in the United States. And initially, for the first three weeks, everyone was like, oh, no, 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 we're still operating. Everything's good. And then all of a sudden you got to the end of April and beginning of May is like, well, you know, we've been shut down for the last six weeks, <laughs> three weeks. And it's like, yeah, I kind of figured. And so it was interesting to be able to make good engineering context. So we were able to continue with development and meeting with the engineering teams to get this done. But actually running the production was slowed down. And there were new opportunities that came up during COVID where because people were back at home, now all of a sudden being able to support new ideas and different people within the American Made Solar Prize came up to fill a good bit of our time in addition to working in parallel of working with our customers. And one of the things that made me feel really good was we started with a lot of the American Made module makers. And one of the companies that's based up in the north of the U.S., as soon as they were able to get back online, they wanted to run our technology first and foremost to see the results. And it worked out because they had been shut down. Yeah, and it was great. They were excited to get back to work and excited to see a new technology. And it was fun to be a part of that. And that, that was back in May. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, that's pretty amazing that a solar panel manufacturer, when they're coming back online, right? they're willing to actually put a new technology within that that could create complexity. And that's a testament to the work that you guys have been doing and the technology that you've created, Ben. So. Well, the business person to me feels compelled to point out that the beauty of C3 is it's actually almost risk-free for them to try it. It doesn't require any serious change to their processes. And in fact, I'd say that's probably one of our hurdles is just to explain to people that, listen, when other people have tried it, it's just a really small change. It doesn't risk anything. If you're not happy with it, you can undo it immediately within a minute. It's the beauty of C3 that makes it so easy and risk-free to try that I think is one of the reasons we're getting so much interest. I think one of the benefits of COVID was it forced us out of the lab. It slowed some of our physical tests we were running. We had to sit down and took a breath and said, well, let's figure out how to tell the story really well. And we thought we'd done that, but when we had the extra time to really step back and think about the story and we got some outside help as a sounding board, we kind of shook our heads and said, wait a minute, there's a way better story and a way more succinct way to tell it than we had ever thought. And so in a sense, I think COVID, if you want to be optimistic about it, forced us to step back, think about our go-to-market story, and it got a lot better because we weren't spending all of our time in the lab and running production stuff. Maybe there's an upside to it. And in any way, I'm happy with where we are at the moment. That's for sure. Definitely. And Bill, you've been in 
involved in startups all your life, mostly like in the technology sector. The Solar Maverick podcast is about solar and entrepreneurship. Can you talk about your suggestions on entrepreneurship? I mean, you've basically started your first company in high school. You have a lot of experience in many different facets. Yeah. You know, when you're in high school and you can't throw a ball and you have no charisma, but there's a computer lab off in the corner. It's amazing what you can do with that. <laughs> and one thing led to another. But yeah, I've been doing startups my whole life. I've been in about 35 boards, of, took one of my companies public. So I've had a range of small and early stage companies all the way up to larger companies. And a couple of things that I guess I'd love to share about entrepreneurism. First of all, it's not necessarily for everybody. There's nothing like it. It's the highs are higher and the lows are lower. It's a roller coaster. So, but man, the chance to make a difference, to be your own boss, to set the agenda, to be measured, not against the system that you're part of, but really against what you're personally capable of is such a thrill and a heartbreak at the same time. I think a lot of people, when they try to assess the success of early stage companies, look at a lot of things that are, I think are symptoms, but not the cause of what makes them successful. And having been a venture capitalist and funded a ton of companies, I've seen a, what it's not. People think that startups are about flexibility or even the ability to take risk. And while that's a symptom, I think the root is startups are about speed and the ability to move and iterate quickly, which is why so many startups in the software world have, or the software world has engendered so many startups because you can iterate software 10 times a day if you like. Back in the old day, you might iterate it every month or two, but today companies like Facebook are pushing out 100 revisions to their software every single day. And that speed means they're flexible, they're responsive to customers. So when you get into the startup world, I tell people you've got to think and move in a very rapid way. And the last thing I'd share is that, and I hinted at this earlier, you know, I've been through a couple of pretty major disruptive revolutions in technology, the implementation of low-cost computers, the rise of the internet, the rise of digital marketing. And I believe that the uh, rise of clean energy is the single largest business opportunity in the history of humanity. And that's one of the reasons I'm here. There's a couple others, but that's certainly one of them. You're looking at a $2 trillion industry globally every single year with probably $7 trillion of existing assets. And the amount of money that will be spent, invested, and returned Another mistake people make about clean energy is it's not about, I have to spend the money. It's about an investment. So every solar panel field ever built, every residential battery installed, it's an investment that has a return. This isn't money going into a black hole. It pays for itself. This is an investment. And so you look at all investments in human history, all venture capital money invested over the last 30 years is about a trillion in total. You look at gigantic infrastructure projects like the US highway system, which is in current dollars, about $500 billion. And yet the smallest projection for clean energy is about $7 trillion over the next 25 years. So this will dwarf every other investment ever made in the history of humanity. And there's a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities in that. They're harder, they're slower, but they're there. And that's what I try to get people to join the Ben and Greg and I to join this crazy train that you're doing and so many of your listeners are doing. It's hard, but man, it's worth it. And if we can succeed as a group, the generations will thank us. I would love to get your suggestions on entrepreneurship. I had heard in another podcast interview, you knew that you always wanted to start your own company. And what were your reasons for wanting to be an entrepreneur? What have you learned? That's a different way for me to think. And I appreciate it. It's always been fun. I always thought of myself as an inventor growing up, but you want to do things. I really feel like my mentality fit Georgia Tech and not MIT. When I would tell my friends what I was going to start and study, I wanted to have an impact on things that were like three to five years out and not 10 to 15 years out. I wanted to really be involved in trying to make society better the way I thought it was at the time. And it's just something that I've enjoyed, right? It's fun to do 
the interaction with other people trying to make a product out there and get it going. So that's been a big part of it, just a mix between being inventive and having an impact now. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. And you're having a huge impact with what you're doing in an extremely short period of time, as you said, which is great to hear that you know, what you thought in your mind that you're actually able to follow up on it, which is not easy to do. That's pretty Appreciate that. Thanks. Oh, anytime. I wanted to hear like what predictions that you guys have about the industry. I know Bill talked about the opportunity of clean energy and how big it's going to be in the future. What predictions do you see with the solar industry? It would be great to get both of your perspectives. I think we're going to see a continuous drumbeat of uh, cheaper, more efficient solar panels. So you can expect to see I'm very focused on local energy, small scale projects, commercial scale, community solar. So I think we'll start to see those installation prices drop below a dollar a watt, which is already where places like Australia have been for a while. But I think we'll see that in the US. And as you get to that price point, we're just going to see volumes of new installations happen. And that's partially because of the lowering price of panels, which I think we'll start to see get to 30% efficiency in the next seven, eight years through tandem cells with proskites and just an amazing amount of innovation taking place. I think we'll start to see the LCOE of these small scale projects go five or six cents. Again, that's a couple of years away, but I think we're going to see it. Every time it drops a quarter of a cent, then geometrically more are built. So it's a very elastic price response, as they say in the consulting world. And lastly, I think that today we think a lot about solar. You talk about solar. A lot of your listeners think about solar. I think solar and batteries are going to become synonymous. The large projects around the country are reading the headlines about. They're all including batteries. I think batteries and solar are going to be uh, peanut butter and chocolate before we know it. And you're not going to have one without the other. Definitely. Those are great points. I listened to your TED Talk where you talk a lot about local energy. So definitely check it out. We're involved a lot in community solar development. So I agree with you about that and about solar and storage. So those are great insights. I appreciate it. Ben, can you talk about what trends or predictions you have? I agree with the solar and storage. I think one of the really big enablers on that is the electric vehicle infrastructure that's going to be needed. That's a whole new source of power that is currently filled by fossil fuel. And even when you have the existing challenge of a working product with our grid, you still have this shifting fuel source with electric vehicles, plus batteries, plus mobile, and all the things that it's going to inspire entrepreneurs to go through. I think that's going to be a great enabler. The other part that I see more specifically to solar is we are in many ways hitting the theoretical efficiency limit that you can get for a terrestrial or a very simple model of solar cells. So 25% starts really coming up against hard science on what you do more. So I think there's going to be similar to like what our company is doing. We're trying to make the solar panels more efficient, more functional, and more resistant to harmful changes. And I think the other thing that that's going to blossom out into is you're going to see lighter solar panels, more decorative solar panels, more functional type solar panels. So instead of trying to make solar fit into the existing energy infrastructure, I think solar is going to start spreading its own wings and being used in the way that only solar can, plus a little storage. <laughs> Have to plug in building integrated photovoltaics. It's going to be huge. And Absolutely. The- uh, the next generation product CVC that we have is going to be a game changer for BIPV. So uh, more to come on that. Yeah, that is huge. Those insights. I was going to ask too, like you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, Bill, about 
that you're not just taking the technology that Ben's created, but then potentially other technologies from solar and storage or clean energy or clean tech. Is that within the solar inventions company or is that something that's outside of it? The ideal path is to use uh, solar inventions and the expertise and the financing that three of us can bring to bear. But every innovation and every new idea and every startup isn't necessarily easily fitting that model. So for really game-changing things, we would be inclined to, to work with it however it was necessary to help it see the light of day. And I think Ben and I have a really strong sense of commitment to helping make the world a better place. So I think that we're super open to how we can help other companies. We're not yet at the point. Please don't start sending us submissions for ideas, but we hope to get there next year once we've got a couple of our own products underway, uh, commercially successful, and then we will build from there and start looking outside of our own uh, labs for new ideas probably maybe a year from now. That's probably my best guess. Sure, that's really helpful to know because I'm sure people listening to this podcast when you mentioned it, they're working on a certain idea and that's great that you're explaining how you guys are structured and potentially next year, that would be something that you would look at. Bill, can you talk about the Freeing Energy book, the blog that you have, the website? I've listened to the Freeing Energy podcast which is a great podcast that you have. And I recommend all our listeners to check it out. Can you talk about that? And I think it's interesting too, the strategy you did to create the book and interview people to basically find your niche within the clean energy sector, which I think is an extremely smart way of doing it and non-traditional. I was actually standing in the same spot in my home office uh, about, it was 2000 and early 16, 2000, early 16. And a really good friend of mine called me late at night. And I thought this was some dire call because he never calls. And I was like, gosh, is he going to tell me someone's sick or is there been an accident? He calls me up and said, what's up? And he goes, I figured out what you need to do with the rest of your life. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> all right, well, shoot. And he said, well, you're driving all of us crazy talking about this clean energy stuff. And we know you like your job at IBM, but you really need to apply all of your focus towards clean energy because that's where you can make the biggest difference. And I said, I just don't know how to get started. He said, well, that's why I'm calling you. He said, you need to quit IBM and write a book about clean energy. And you know, that was probably one of the most powerful ideas of my entire life. And literally about 36 hours later, after not sleeping, just this idea on fire in my brain, I gave notice to IBM and I gave them three or four months to wind out my projects and then started working on the book at full time in 2017. But the idea was, how do you get in front of the smartest people in the world and ask the dumbest imaginable questions and not be lapped out of the room? you tell them you're writing a book. I started probably the first person I reached out to through my network was Amory Lovins, the Rocky Mount Institute. He's a legend and someone I'd seen talk at TED years ago and had followed. The next thing I was in having dinner in Charlotte with uh, Jim Rogers, who has since passed away, but he was an absolutely visionary, legendary head of Duke Energy. And I was at dinner with him, two of us sitting there over uh, calamari. And he was telling me about the death spiral and Sam Insull and all these other things. And he gave history and light to the industry. And I knew that there was a story here that was never being told. And so that helped. Those were some of the first interviews. And I've been all over the world. I've interviewed 250 people. I've been in huts in Africa. I've been to the headquarters of uh, Shanghai, uh, sorry, of Jinko and JA and, and Andy Klump, who you just recently interviewed is a, is a dear friend, is on our advisory board and I'm on his board. And so he's been helpful in opening up his network. And so I've been all over the world talking to the smartest people. And through all that, the original thesis, which I did with my TED Talk, has really come through in spades, which is this notion that the fastest way to clean energy is through 
innovation. And the only way to really innovate at speed in this industry is through local energy. So if it requires you to sell something to utility, that's a great audience to buy from you, but it's a three-year process. It involves an IRP. It involves changing habits. Utilities have tried experiments like they did in California to wholesale trading and it worked out poorly. And so they're very reluctant to take risks reasonably. So in order for innovation to thrive, it's got to be at the local energy level. And so that's really what the thesis of the book is about. And along the way, it was actually my son, who is a tremendously great kid. He's uh, 24, doing his own solar startup. I asked him about an article I'd written and he said, well, dad, yeah, you know, so I don't have time to read all this stuff that you write, but have you ever considered doing a podcast because you're kind of more interesting to listen to than to read? (laughs) (laughs) Thus, the podcast was born and they've taken off. They've done really well. It's been fun. That was added to the media story. So I've put a bit of a hold on the podcast and the writing for the summer as I finish off the manuscript of the book. But I dive full back in. We'll have the podcast lineup set up probably in another month or so. I have a ghostwriter help me with the book. And so once we're back in his hands, then uh, I'll do the podcast again. And now because of all the connections we've made with us solar inventions, my network is bigger and broader than ever. So I'm really excited to bring some new content to the market, both in articles and podcasts. And my mission is really clear. I just want to get people excited about the transition to clean energy. I want them to feel like as entrepreneurs, as investors, as policymakers, as energy nerds, there's stuff that they can do that buying an electric vehicle matters. Um, Installing solar in your house, it makes a difference because every time one of us puts solar in our house, the price goes down just a little bit for the next person. And so really, I want to create a small movement of people working towards energy freedom, freeing energy. That's my mission. And Solar Inventions is a big part of that. It's a separate commercial entity entirely, but the mission I have is the same. Let's get clean energy into the world, save money, clean up the grid. And the last reason is, by the way, a billion and a half people have no electricity. And so if we can crack the code with Solar Inventions, if we can crack it with solar microgrids, we're not only going to save money and clean up the grid, we're going to deliver electricity to a billion people and have the life-changing results that come from that. So I just want to get people excited about it, Benoit, and I appreciate you letting us share our small story today about what we're trying to do as individuals and as a company, because we just need people to get excited about it. Thank you for helping spread the word with your audience and all the entrepreneurs you have come. This is just a collection of us crazy people that hopefully uh, together can make a difference and future generations will thank us. Yeah, definitely. And it's amazing the impact that you guys are going to make and it's just beginning and have made. So it's really exciting to hear. Do you have an idea of when Freeing Energy, the book, potentially would be published? You know, that's what my wife asks me all the time. (laughs) So I can tell you, we have an absolute drop-dead date of the book being completed in um, uh, December of 2018. And so uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to think it'll be next year. But if you've ever done a book, you know that when you're finished writing it and we're almost finished, it has a long digestive track after that before it sees the marketplace. So I will absolutely let you know. And uh, if you're interested in when it's coming out, I'd love to talk to you about it some more. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to talk about local energy too a little bit. You mentioned community solar. Maybe not all of our listeners are familiar with it. That basically it's where businesses and residential customers could buy electricity from the utility service area. It's one of the growing industries within the industry of solar, which is exciting. And basically people who don't have access to solar now, maybe it could be due to shading or they live in an apartment or whatever the means, even based on credit score, because usually you have to have 650 or above credit score for a residential customer to have solar on their home. The community solar creates a great opportunity 
of people having local energy. It's taking off. I saw a statistic, NREL just put out a great piece. I'm sure you've read it on community solar. If I remember the numbers, they went from like 102,000 in 16, when I started writing the book, 2017 to like 1800 community solar projects today and growing accelerating rate. It's such a great idea. And it gives communities local resilience and lets people participate. You actually own a small piece in many of these models. I mean, I guess I own a couple of solar panels at Georgia Power, my local utility. I just put solar on my roof, so I'm not as concerned now. But for years, I had a couple small solar panels on some Georgia Power community solar project somewhere in Georgia. And they would send me a little email every month saying how many kilowatt hours I generated. And it was pretty cool. I paid more for them than I did for the Georgia Power, but I still felt cool owning some solar panels through them, through Community Solar. It's even cooler. I have some on my roof now with some power walls, but that took me years to get to. So it's a great program at wherever you live. And there's companies like Arcadia that are making that available across the country. So much innovation going in there. And I'm, just, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, we're actually doing one of the first projects with the New York Housing Authority on their roofs in Manhattan for Community Solar. Really? Really? It's pretty cool because we're actually uh, training NYCHA residents to install solar for that project. And then they could actually get jobs because the training is provided with the project. And we're also providing solar to the low moderate income community as well. So there's also workforce development and community engagement piece as well with local energy, which is huge. So. I'm really glad you shared that. I want to learn more about it. That's a great story. And that's the promise of local energy. It's not just a story of saving money on your electric bill. It's communities, it's involvement, it's resilience. And at a time when I think where that stuff is really valued. Definitely. And definitely once your book comes out, would love to talk to you about it and uh, looking forward to it. December, 2018. I mean, sorry, uh, sometime next year, <laughs> 2021. <laughs> This has been an amazing interview, Ben and Bill. Like, I really appreciate your time. I think like our listeners who we call Mavericks will find it's just amazing the value that you've added to the industry and you're going to in the future. It would be great like if you could talk about where's the best way if our listeners wanted to learn more about Solar Inventions, about both of you or even the white paper that you just released in August. It would be helpful if you could tell us what's the best way to get more information. Well, I would love it if some of your listeners were interested enough to come to our website, which is solarinventions.com. And right there, the front page is the opportunity to download the white paper. And if there are solar nerds, I'd love to be really interested to see what people think and post some comments or let us know. But the white paper is really a fun, fairly high level, but science high level perspective of this amazing invention Ben has created. So it's right there, solarinventions.com. Yeah, definitely. And I'm not a technical person, but it was really helpful like to really understand. And I think you just really briefly describe the technology to understand it, but then you don't go into the weeds, which really is great, I think, for most people who wouldn't understand the complexities related to it. Yeah, we want to tell them about this amazing new bread that we're baking, but we don't want to tell them exactly how to bake it until they're customers. <laughs> That's true. That's a great point. <laughs> Well, great. Thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate both of your times today. Oh, this has been a lot of fun. Great questions. And I think we're all in this together. So thanks for putting us on the list and giving us a chance to share our story. Anytime. Yeah, it's great to be a part of the community too. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having us. Anytime. I appreciate you guys sharing your story and making time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those 
that you think could benefit from this information, please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U-Energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown. 